Welcome, everybody. We are glad you are here with us this morning. Thank you for being with us, those of you who are able to be here present, and those of you who are able to be here virtually. We are grateful for everyone who joins us in this worship. I, in my day job, am a college professor. That's what I do five days a week. And I like things I can explain. That's what I get paid for, explaining things. I like things I can kind of put into a nice outline. I like, you know, I make a nice PowerPoint about. I can define it precisely and get all the terms to make sense. And so I'm a little frustrated about the topic that I have for this morning which is God's Spirit, the one Holy Spirit of God. Because the one thing about the Holy Spirit is you can't really pin it down. I think I'm a lot like Nicodemus. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night because I think he's embarrassed a little bit to be seen coming to Jesus uh, asking questions. Nicodemus is a teacher. And, and he's used to being able to pin things down and to make sense of things. And he comes to Jesus saying, who are you really? Can, can you explain to me to fit it into our system? Because you, you're able to do these miracles, but you don't fit what we're expecting. Can you help me sort all that out, Jesus? And I like Nicodemus because that's what I do. Try to sort things out. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, I want you to think for a minute about the wind. It's an interesting, interesting approach Jesus has. He doesn't really answer Nicodemus's question. He says, I want you to think for a minute about the wind. And by the way, the word wind in Greek is the same as the word spirit. And he says, what does the wind do? It's one of the words for spirit. What does the wind do? It goes, but you don't see where it came from. You don't see where it goes. You can't spot it with your eyes. You see its effects. We see the wind's effects shakes the trees with a little help of the ice. It drops tree limbs on us sometimes. This happened this last week. But you can never pin it down. That's the nature of the wind. And then Jesus looks at Nicodemus, who wants things all spread out in black and white, and he says, and that's the way it is with people who are born of the Spirit. This spirit movement that I'm starting, Nicodemus, me and my followers. That's the nature of the spirit. It's that you can't pin it down. Now I like that because that helps me to have a little more humility. I think it's important for us to ask questions. I think it's important for us to try to understand I'm going to try to help us understand a little bit this morning. But I think we need to realize that when we're dealing with God, sometimes it's, it's our questions that are the problem. How many of you uh, know math? 
This, this calls for a response, so I'd like to see some hands. How many of you know math? How many of you can add? Okay, so this shouldn't be hard for you. How much is two plus grapefruit? Yeah, what is seven divided by purple? You know, you said, well, those are bad questions. And I wonder, those are nonsense questions. And I, and I really worry sometimes that the questions we ask are the problem with our inability to get answers. I think that was true with Nicodemus. He, he wanted his everything to fit back into the worldview as it was. And Jesus was here to blow that all up. And I think that continues to be true. And... That's characteristic of what we're talking about this morning, the Holy Spirit. The one thing the Holy Spirit, the holy wind of God, the breath of God does not do is leave things the same. First passage where the Holy Spirit is mentioned is actually the second verse in the Bible. Now, if you're turning in your Bibles, I'll tell you where we're going to spend most of our time. It's Romans chapter 8. But the second verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, mentions the Holy Spirit. And you guys are familiar with this. Now, the earth was formless, chaotic, and it was empty. It was deserted. It was desolate. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, this chaotic ocean. Not an ocean of water, just an ocean of nothingness, really. That was, that's the world described in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Chaotic, empty, dark, and, and, and just dangerous chaos. And the last phrase, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What happens from the Spirit of God hovering over those waters? God says, let's have light. And the darkness is banished. Let's have form. And, and dark and light separate and dry land and and water separate, and sky and earth separate. Let's have, let's fill some of those empty places, and, and there are stars in the sky all of a sudden, and sun and moon, and there's, and there's birds in the sky, and there's fish in the sea, and there's animals on the land, and finally, human beings. If you want to understand, I mean, you're never going to see the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to resign myself to this. I'm never going to see it. I want to. I want to pin it down and say, okay, if I, if I see that, I'm seeing the Holy Spirit. But you look for those kinds of effects in your life. Learn to open your ears, open your eyes, and be looking for where is chaos being brought into order? Friendships that are split apart and mangled being healed, families that are rent, being brought back together and made right. 
Where is darkness being dispelled? Physical darkness, which we need, to, we need some of that right now. And also ignorance or, or spiritual despair. Where is that happening? When you see that happening, somewhere back there where you can't see it, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. Probably if we're going to address this issue at all, we have to be willing to reach out and look for these signs of the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Now, one of the most famous passages about the Holy Spirit, this, this, the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord is mentioned a lot in the Old Testament as well as in the New one of the most famous Old Testament passages is the one that we had read first this morning, that Ezekiel passage, that uh, passage back there in Ezekiel chapter uh, 37. Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel has been taken lots of places by the Spirit, and now he's, he's seeing this valley of dried up shriveled, bleached bones, just, just bones. It's something very appropriate for Halloween. Just skeletons and, and, you know, scattered bones everywhere. And you know the story. It's preach. Send out the Spirit, send out the Word. And, and the Word of God causes the bones to all join together. And the bones come together, then flesh comes on the bones, and then the spirit comes into the bodies, and these bodies come alive. And all of that is a message, God says, to Israel. Look, if you're in the passage, you can look at verse 11. Israel is saying this about themselves. Israel, when they look at their condition as a nation, they're saying, our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. That's Israel's status. Now, you and I have been making a lot of jokes about 2020, and 2020 is a pretty bad year. You know, we've got a plague, and we've got a crashed economy, and today we have an ice storm that's knocked out a bunch of people's power. Really grateful, by the way, that you can literally throw a rock to a power station from here at Wilshire, because at least Wilshire's got power. Yeah, amen, that's right. <laughs> but, you know, 2020 is just sort of like the gift that keeps on giving. But, but I would be embarrassed to complain about the stuff I've been complaining about if I was standing in front of one of these Israelites. They were not just depressed. They were not just having a bad day. They had literally had their nation collapse from out from under them. They had a powerful, irresistibly strong foreign invader come in and say, we don't care what you want. We're burning your homes, we're destroying your temple, and you and your wives and your children, they're all slaves now, they're all exiled now, they're all coming to live where we want you to live, working where we want you to work. You belong to us. So when the Israelites said, we're, we're dead, we're dried up, we're cut off, they weren't just sad. 
They were in despair. And God sends this vision of the bones being brought back to life to say, my spirit can bring the dead back to life. No matter how bad things are, one of the signs of the Holy Spirit is, is the ability to overcome that hardship. So when I'm wondering where the Spirit is and where it's active and what it's doing, look for those times in my life or in the lives of others where people are able to face hard, hard events and difficult tragedies. And you see them, it looks almost impossible, but you see them overcoming that hardship. I think you're seeing the sign of God's wind, God's breath, God's spirit moving to give back hope to those who are hopeless. All right, turn to the passage I said I wanted you to look at. In the New Testament, there are many, many, many passages that talk about what the Holy Spirit is and what it does. Jesus talks to his disciples when they are in despair because he's saying, I have to leave. I have to go. My time in this earthly ministry is almost over. I'm going to be taken away from you. And in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, he says, but I'm not going to leave you an orphan. I'm going to send you another comforter that's really going to reveal in your lives and in your hearts me. The Holy Spirit will come to you. Another comforter will come to you. And when you receive it fully, you'll realize that you are one with me as I am one with the Father, and the works that you will do will continue the works that I have done. That's kind of the theology of that, that section of Scripture in John 14 that I'm not even talking about this morning, except I just did. That same theology begins to be explored in Romans chapter 8. This, this Holy Spirit that the Bible talks about that's so hard to pin down, it is somehow the spirit of Jesus Christ that's now in each one of you that's a baptized Christian. And Paul says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the fleshly desires, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is peace and life. You getting what's going on here? The flesh, the flesh, the flesh drags us down into the darkness, into the chaos, into the desolation. And the hovering spirit of God comes 
to lift us up. Jesus Christ comes. His spirit comes to lift us up. Do you get that? My flesh still, and I've been a Christian for many, many decades now, my flesh still wants to drag me down into the darkness, into the death, into the disease of sin. It wants to master me. It says, come on, follow me, walk my way. And and it does that to you too. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you're still living in this flesh. And and every now and then your flesh will come along and say, you, let's go do this. I want you to walk in its way. And when you or I have the power to resist, when we start getting that urge to say no, I don't want that to characterize my life anymore. I want to live on a different level. I want to live according to a different standard. I want to be what Jesus was. I want that to shine out of my life. And when you overcome sin like that, or even in those times when you get that urge, but you don't quite follow it, you know that the Holy Spirit has been warring against your flesh to pull you in the right direction. And next time you will win. Even in those times you fail. The Holy Spirit says, don't follow that death. Don't follow that darkness. Don't follow that disease. Come to me. Walk in my way. Walk in my path. That's that's the way Paul kind of lays it out. He says, by the death of Jesus Christ, Jesus now can live in us. And as we walk his way in in his spirit, Our lives will increasingly be characterized by life and light and and power and strength and health. Skip down a little bit. Look at verse 10. If Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of the sin, spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Death here means more than just your physical death. It also means losing everything, losing God, facing the wrath of God and being found wanting, facing the judgment of God. I fear the judgment of God. I fear it. I do not want to be found wanting on the judgment day. I do not want God to look at my life and to say, Jim, You are not one of mine. And and, and I actually think every human being, at least in a part of their mind, has that little bit of fear that somehow, someway, they're going to be found wanting. Even if they don't really know what the judgment day is or know much about it, there's that fear. And some people, you know, deal with that by 
trying to pretend there is no right and wrong and there is no God and there can't be any judgment. And other people just try to, you know, blast it out of their mind with entertainment or, or addictions or, or other things like that. And just not think about it, just not think about it, just not think about it. Neither of those are a path to happiness. The only path to peace is to turn towards God. Look at his righteousness in the face and to receive the help that his son Jesus Christ is offering. And that's what you've done if you're a baptized Christian. You've said, God, I can't do this on my own. I must have the help of your mighty son Jesus Christ. And if you've done that, then, then the Holy Spirit has begun to work in your life. To turn that fear into hope. To turn that fear into confidence. More and more. As you see yourself turning away from the darkness and turning away from the death. Even if you're not perfect about doing that. But as you see yourself walking more and more by the spirit and not by the flesh. Every time that happens you realize I have received God's blessing. I have received God's grace. I have received God's adoption, I am his child. That's kind of Paul's theology in this section, Romans 8, verses 10 through 14. Keep going. If you're there with me in Romans 8, keep going. Look at verses 15 and 16. Our word awe is a strange word. It means an emotion that we have that seems overwhelming, too strong. We, we've watered down awe, but, but awe is that feeling where something is so big, I, don't, I can't deal with it. We get the word awesome from the word awe. And we get the word awful from that same root. And we sing a song that says, our God is an awesome God. And he is awesome in goodness. So big we can't wrap our minds around it. God is so lovely and so beautiful and so desirable and and, and there are times when our hearts just swell with the eagerness to be united with him. But it's also true, and, I, and if you're honest, I think you'll resonate with this. I cer it's certainly true with me. God is awful. I'm scared of God sometimes. I'm not just scared of his wrath or his judgment, which we talked about a minute ago. I'm scared God's going to just Take over my life and wreck my life. He's just going to come in and ruin my habit. He's going to tell me I can't do stuff I want to do. And he's just going to, you know, make me into something I don't want to be. God's awful. At least it, a part of my brain feels that way. And so there's a part of me, as much as there's one part of me that knows the awesomeness of God and wants God more into my life, there's a part of me that's saying, I don't. I don't know, I kind of like where you are right now, God. Let's just kind of be friends. Let, you know, let's just, let's keep this uh, at a bit more distance. 
Paul says the Holy Spirit helps with that too. Look at verses 15 and 16. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Characteristic way for Jesus to refer to the Father, Abba. Abba. Father. Word of intimacy. And, and, and Paul says, you will see, you will feel the working of the Holy Spirit in you in those times when you are able to get past your resistance to God. Your fear that he's going to interfere in your life too much. And you're going to be able to fully give in to the awesomeness of God. And say, you know what? Anything you need to clear out of the way. Any desires of mine that I think are going to make me happy. But are go contrary to what you need. Bring it on God. I want more of you more than I want any of that. That's the Holy Spirit. That says, I want you near me. That's how the Holy Spirit operates. And the more you feel that, the more you know the Holy Spirit has been hovering over your life. Let's keep going. Look down in verse 17. He's been saying, look, we've got this assurance that we're heirs. We've got this Spirit telling us that we are God's children, giving us the ability to be intimate with God, to truly mean it when we say, Father. The Spirit lifts us up so that actually means something to us more and more, the more we grow and walk by the Spirit. And then verse 17 tells us this, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider, verse 18, we can, we can now christen this the 2020 verse. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth, Right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirits grown inwardly as we wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says, we don't have to look very far to know this world is messed up. And he doesn't go into deep theology and long explanation. He sums everything up into one verse. It's a messed up world. He doesn't talk about the fall. He doesn't talk about Satan. He doesn't talk about the powers and authorities in this verse. He does some of that elsewhere. He just says it's a messed up world. It's subjected to frustration, but not forever. And you, Christians, 
already living in this world, messed up world, a world where COVID happens, a world where politics tries to rip us to shreds, a world where our families suffer, a world where power goes out, a world where freak ice storms uh, disrupt everybody's life. This is the world we live in, but you, Christians, you already have these stirrings of that hovering spirit of God. You've already started to feel it. Those urges to walk in the light rather than in the darkness. Those, those abilities to, to find the hope even in moments of despair. You've already had the first fruits of the Spirit beginning to manifest in your life. And so you look at this despair and your spirit cries out for the redemption that we know is going to come. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Because you've got that first fruits of the Spirit stirring in you already, Christians, you feel those urges to righteousness, to be Christ-like. Because that's happening in your lives, you are able to bear the sufferings of this world. Paul actually doubles down on that, down a little bit later. He says the Spirit will help us to pray right and do other things. But look down in verse um, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God, uh, those God who has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is a great passage of our hope. We know this world is messed up, Paul says. We know it is subjected to frustration. We don't have to look far to know that. But that stirring, that first fruit of the Holy Spirit in our hearts reminds us something much, much better is coming. We don't see that hope right now fully manifest, but we've got the first stirrings of it, the first fruits of it in our hearts. And we know it's coming. And because we know that, we know this. Jesus Christ was sent by a loving God to save us. And if God will do that, what power can this small world mount against the power of the God who loves us. If God has said, I think this person is worthy to receive my spirit, 
What can Satan or the powers and authorities or let alone the human people that are around us point to us and say, oh, you're no good, you're condemned, you're worth, what can they do against the God who says you are worthy to receive my spirit because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we know we have that hope waiting for us. What's interesting to me is Paul's not content to leave that hope out in the future. Look at where he he ends up. In all these things, verse 37, for in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor heights or depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This passage is not just about hanging on by your fingernails until heaven comes. You notice that? It is, it is about, we've got the hope of heaven, but it's not just, if you can just close your eyes enough and wait till heaven comes, you'll be fine. Notice what it says. It says the spiritual powers and things in this creation too cannot stand against the people of God's Holy Spirit. Do You get that? Right here, right now, Today, tomorrow, this week, whether the lights come on or they don't, whether your side wins in the election or it doesn't, whether your friends are mean to you on social media or not, you today are victorious and can live following the path of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we have a glorious gift in this spirit that binds us to one another and binds us to God. If you need to respond to God's invitation to make you part of this wonderful Holy Spirit community, if you need to receive baptism today, or if there are prayers that you would like this congregation to pray for you or some other need we can meet, why don't you come forward and tell us what we can do for you as we stand and sing.